Would you bow with me please for prayer? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And Father, thank you for these incredible verses that remind us of that which is before us as followers of Christ. We thank you for the sure and certain promise that one day when we breathe our last here, we will take our next breath in your presence in all the glory and splendor of a place called heaven. A place the scripture says you have prepared for us. Father, I pray that we'll look forward with eager anticipation to that day and between now and then that we will be your faithful servants in all things, quick to tell others of the love of Jesus so that they might know him personally and be able to know for certain that heaven will one day be their home. As we reflect upon eternity today, I pray that you will speak very clearly to our hearts. We love you. We adore you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 21. Before I prayed, I read two of the texts that are listed this morning in your worship bulletin as our texts for today. Philippians chapter 1 and from Revelation chapter 7. So next we'll read from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, and we will do that in just a moment. Today, we bring to a conclusion the series that we've been in for a number of months, What Every Christian Should Know. And we've talked about a variety of things, beginning with, Are You a Christian for Certain?, And then we've talked about what every Christian should know about the Bible, about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about the church, about missions, about grace, about growing, about prayer, about baptism, about the Lord's Supper, about worship, about temptation, about the will of God, about family, about Christmas about stewardship, and about adoption. And I hope I didn't leave any out, although I know I didn't necessarily get them in the right order. Next week, we will begin a series on the New Testament book of James. So I encourage you to perhaps read ahead in the first chapter of James for next week. Now, if you'll stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, Revelation 21, the first four verses. And the scripture says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And you may be seated. I want to thank the choir for how beautifully they sang this morning. And I want to thank you for how beautifully you sang this morning. You sang as if you might be anticipating heaven. And I love the smiles on the face of the choir. Thank you, choir. I didn't turn around to see if you were smiling. I hope you were. But I loved it that they, they were smiling as they sang about, about heaven. Eternity. Defined as time without end. Time without beginning. Infinitely extended time. We should think about eternity. If for our purposes today, we define eternity as time without end, then surely we see the importance of thinking about it. We will spend forever somewhere in some condition. So I want to illustrate this morning, if you look at the screen for just a moment, you'll see a line and a dot. The dot represents your life. The line represents the expanse of eternity. Now, obviously, the dot is greatly exaggerated, but I wanted to be sure that you saw it. So, on the continuum of eternity, without beginning, without ending, your dot signifies your life span. Now, I want you to look at it another way. Let's, instead of thinking about eternity past, let's focus solely upon eternity future. So there's your lifespan, the dot, and there's eternity future going on and on and on and on and on and on and say it with me and on and on and on. Does it not make absolute sense that we would think about eternity, that we would reflect upon eternity, that we would ponder and consider eternity, surely it makes imminent sense to us. So that's what I want us to do this morning, what every Christian should know about eternity. And the first of those things is this. We will all die unless Jesus returns first. We will all die unless Jesus returns first. Now, I have not yet told you anything that you didn't already know. And likely, likely won't tell you anything this morning that you don't already know. But it is imperative that we be reminded of the things that we already know. And that is, we will all die unless Jesus returns first. Scripture speaks often of the certainty of death. And we know personally of the passing of people that we love. And we know someday it will be us. You and you and you and me. 
So with that certainty, we should think about it. It could come tomorrow for any of us. And it won't be all that far off for all of us. So I want you to think about that dot and the expanse of that line called eternity this morning. The 70-year-old probably thinks a little bit more about eternity than the 30-year-old on on average. The 30-year-old is just gearing up, ready to go, and the 70-year-old may or may not have retired, but is certainly pondering the fact that life is moving on. I would suggest to you that the difference between the 30 and the 70 is less than you think it is. And if you want to know for sure, just ask the 70-year-old. We've all been to funerals. I doubt there's a person in here who's not attended a funeral at some point in your life. So you've heard a pastor or some officiant say something about the person who has deceased. And you know that someday it will be you in this room, at the hilltop, in another church, in a funeral home, at a cemetery. Someone will be talking about you. Now, without being morbid or inordinately consumed with thoughts of death, I do think it is wise and healthy for us to think about eternity. When I was 10, I didn't think much about eternity. Did you? I was excited about being a 10-year-old. I couldn't wait to be a 12-year-old. Then I couldn't wait to be an 18-year-old. Then I couldn't wait to be a 25-year-old. And you see where this is going. Somebody should have put the brakes on somewhere, but you can't do it. Life and time marches on. Friday afternoon in Athens, Texas, two children were riding on a train, on a, on a school bus going home. Last two on the bus crossed a railroad track. I don't think we all know what happened yet. I'm sure they'll bring it all out at some point. But a freight train hit that school bus and a 13-year-old boy passed immediately into eternity. Now that 13-year-old boy, I can almost, I can almost guarantee you was not thinking about death and eternity riding that school bus going home. He was thinking about supper or playing ball or whatever it was he planned to do that weekend he was not thinking about death but we are reminded in horrific tragedies like that that it would do us well to think about eternity so remember death is certain for all of us unless jesus comes again first number two Those who belong to Christ will go to heaven. 
Those who belong to Christ will go to heaven. So we're reflecting on eternity. We've been singing about heaven this morning. And the scripture tells us that those who belong to Christ, when they die, will go immediately into the presence of the Lord. Philippians 1.21, if for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, and it can be gain only if there is a heaven. Jesus said in John 14, I go and prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. The Greek word for place is tapas. And it means a literal place, not an ethereal something or another. It means a literal place, in this case called heaven. Belton is a place, a tapas, a place. Heaven is a tapas. It is a place only better than Belton. It is. No pain, no sorrow, no tears, no sickness, no death, no sin, not mine or yours. And the Bible speaks of heaven as a beautiful place. And it's a place where the scripture tells us we will worship God and serve him. Those are the two things that the scripture clearly says we will do in heaven. We will worship God and we will serve him. There'll be work to do. And we'll love every minute of it. Now, will there be other things to do that the scripture doesn't mention? Will we get to pal around with Paul or exalt with Ezekiel or mosey with Moses? I don't know. The scripture doesn't say, but I have a feeling in the expanse of eternity, there'll be plenty of time for all of that and more. It is a place where we will worship and serve God. And when we take our last breath here, our next breath will be there. We will see Jesus. Loved ones who have preceded us in death and the saints of every age, think about it, ponder on it. Heaven is a real place and it is the place to which you and I who know Jesus will go at the moment of death. Number three, those who do not belong to Christ will go to hell. Those who do not belong to Christ will go to hell. I take no rejoicing in saying that. I am simply telling you what the scripture says. It is a fact. In fact, Jesus said more about hell than he did about heaven. It is real. It is a place of punishment. And it is a place of eternal separation from God. In John's gospel, the third chapter and the 18th verse, we all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Later in the last verse of that third chapter, it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, 
But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. And the wrath of God is a terrible thing to behold. Hell is everlasting. You read about it in Scripture, for instance, in John, uh, rather in Revelation 14, 11, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. Later in Revelation, in the 20th chapter and the 10th verse, the Scripture says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. A holy God cannot and will not allow sin in his presence. Jesus, by his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection, makes it possible for you and I to not go to hell, but to go instead to heaven if we believe in him, if we trust in him. It's wise, I think, to ponder eternity. For we know that if Jesus tarries in his coming, we're all going to die. And secondly, we know that all of us will go to one of two places, either to heaven or to hell. That is the teaching of scripture. Number four, as we ponder eternity is this, Jesus will return. Jesus is coming again. Now, today's sermon is on eternity, so it's not on the order of events like tribulation, millennium, rapture, what order is all that in. But understand, repeatedly, 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 Scripture tells us that Jesus is coming again. For instance, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as Jesus ascends into heaven and the disciples are watching him ascend into heaven the angel that is there with them says men of galilee why do you stand here looking into the sky this same jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven jesus is coming again the world has not seen the last of jesus And when he touches down on earth again, it will not be to die, but it will be to rule and to reign forever and ever. Number five, by the way, live in eager anticipation of his return. We talked about the Christian dying and going to heaven But wouldn't it be wonderful if you didn't have to go through that and if Jesus would come again and you just go right to be with him? That'd be awesome. Number five, our bodies will be resurrected. Our bodies will be resurrected. For those who have died prior to the return of Christ, when he returns, our bodies will be resurrected. Put together again, as it were. From whatever condition of decay is it in, it is in 
to the perfection of a body without weakness, without fault, without sin, without decay, a body that will never know sickness or sorrow or tears. So when we die, believer, we go immediately into the presence of Jesus in a place called heaven. And it will be incredible. But there is a day coming when Jesus comes again, when our bodies will be resurrected, soul and body together in eternity in a resurrection body that will be beyond anything we can even begin to imagine at this moment. Our bodies will be resurrected. Number six. Jesus will judge all people. Jesus will judge all people. Hebrews 9.27 tells us that we die and after that comes the judgment. Now everyone will be judged, but listen to me carefully. There is a difference between the judgment of a believer and the judgment of a lost person. The judgment of a believer is not in regard to our sin. Our sin has been forgiven. Our sin has been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Our judgment will be a judgment of reward. In Romans, the 14th chapter, in verses 10 through 12, the Scripture says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And then in Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, it tells of of the elders around the throne bowing before the, the throne and presenting their crowns to God. And we will join with them in Our reward in presenting that reward to God, whatever it may be. The judgment of a believer is not something that should cause fear, but cause anticipation. Our sins have been judged already. Our judgment will be one of reward. But for the lost person, judgment will be one of punishment. And all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Two more, and then we're done. Number seven, in Jesus, the believer is secure. In Jesus, the believer is secure. I quoted for you a few moments ago, John 3.16, that we have everlasting life. Everlasting is not something that's here today and gone tomorrow. Our life everlasting is life everlasting. In Jesus, our salvation is secure. Jesus also addresses that issue in John chapter 10 when he says, My sheep listen to my voice. That's us. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them. Out of my Father's hand, I and the Father are one. And then in 1 John five thirteen, these things I have written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may, now, now hold on, test me on this, so that you may hope 
that you have eternal life? No, no wait, wait a minute. something's wrong with that. That you may wish that you have eternal life? No, that's something wrong with that. That you may think that you have eternal life? What does the verse say? That you may know, K-N-O-W, that you may know that you have eternal life. In Jesus, the believer is secure. So that brings us to number eight. What then should we do? In light of eternity, in light of reflection upon eternity, in light of pondering eternity, what then should we do? May I suggest these things, first of all, trust in Jesus if you have not already done that. Trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And do it today. Life is too fragile. James says life is like a vapor. We get the picture. We know what that means. And so don't wait. Don't delay. Don't think well, I, I need to straighten my life out and then come to God. If that's your thinking, you'll never straighten it out. You don't have the power to straighten it out. You're a sinner. Only Jesus can straighten it out. Submit to Him. Give your life to Him. Then let Him do what He wants to in your heart and in your life. Trust Jesus. Number two of that is to thank Jesus. So you were singing about heaven a little while ago. And, and, and you know, I know Jesus, I know that's where I'm going. I know absolutely for certain, 100%, I'm going there someday when Jesus comes again or when Jesus calls me to be with him, whichever comes first. That is cause for us to say, thank you, Jesus. Not just this morning, but every day of our lives. I, I never, some things change as you get older. Some are not good. Some other, other things are good. One of the things that I think has been a, a positive for me, the older I get, the more amazed I am at the fact that God would love me enough to call me to himself and, and save me from my sin. I just is utterly amazed and so thankful. The third thing that we should do is to tell others. We want to, you know, the saying, let's take as many with us as we can when we go to heaven. Let's tell others about Jesus. We don't want anyone to go to hell. I I know sometimes I get mad at awful things that I see on television and in my mind, I'm thinking one day, one day, buddy. Oh my goodness. God could be looking at me and saying one day, but uh, no, no. Let's tell others about Jesus here and around the world. Then the, then the fourth thing is to live for his glory, live for his glory. Others see Jesus in you, see there's something different about you. And it's more than you just go to church. There's something else. I know other people who go to church that aren't any different than, than, you know, what's with you? You're so different. And it's because they see that you're living for the glory of God. And then make a difference. 
And you know, you don't wake up, I don't think it works this way. I don't think you wake up one morning and just say, you know what, I think I'll make a difference in the world today. You wake up and say, whatever you want me to do, Jesus, today I'll do it. And then you go about and you do it. And let him take care of it. Jim Dennison writes, some of you subscribe to his, uh, I guess it's a blog. And so I get it five days a week and I read it. Friday... He, he wrote these words about making your life count. So here, here's part of what he said. Nelson Mandela said, What counts in life is not the mere fact that we have lived. It is what difference we have made to the lives of others that will determine the significance of the life we lead. Then Denison says, How do we make such a difference? There is a God-given quest for significance in every human heart. But this is a hunger no food on earth can satisfy. That's because significance is not the result of success. Now, hear him well. In Genesis 24, an unnamed servant of Abraham found Rebekah and introduced her to Isaac. She would become the mother of Jacob, who would become the father of the twelve sons, who would become the fathers of the twelve tribes of Israel. Some unnamed servant. Then in Exodus 2, an unnamed daughter of Pharaoh rescued the baby Moses from the Nile River. We have no idea what her name was. Acts 23, an unnamed nephew of Paul exposed a plot to kill him. We don't know who that nephew was. We don't have his name. Now, imagine the world without the nation of Israel or the work of Moses or the ministry of Paul. When Jacob died in Egypt, his family of 70 people was but a minuscule part of the mightiest nation on earth. When Moses died on the edge of the promised land, his Jewish people were unknown to most of the world. Even Paul at his death could not know how his letters would be read and used 20 centuries later. Then he concludes with this. Significance is seldom obvious at the time, but it always counts in eternity you and I have no way of knowing what God will choose to do with what seems to us to be the smallest act of obedience but we obey and we let God do the rest remember what's coming I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Remember, What's coming? I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! 
God's dwelling place is now among the people. And He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's eternity. I would submit to you today, it's good for us to think about eternity. Would you bow with me, please, for prayer? In a moment, Brother Gary will lead us in the singing of an invitation hymn because we believe there's someone in this room who needs Jesus. And if that person is you, you are perhaps at this moment sensing the tugging of the Holy Spirit at your heart. And so when we stand in a moment to sing, I invite you to leave your seat, come and place your hand in mine and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. A member of our staff or one of our laypersons will be here to open God's Word to share with you. And this morning in this place, you can come into a personal saving relationship with Jesus. And all that that means, not only for now, but for eternity. Father, those of us who've already made that decision say thank you, thank you, thank you. And for the one, two, three, four or more in this room who need to trust Jesus, I pray that this will be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing.